Last week we started to get a little bit of traction on this this study of First John, and it's an exposition, right? An expositional study is not the word we used. Which which expository? What is that? What does that mean? What what kind of a study are we doing? We're exposing the truth. We're exposing the truth. I, I like that. And so and so what we're doing is we're just going we're going verse by verse, literally word by word. And we're digging into the scripture to see not only what it says, because anybody can do that just by reading it, but what does it mean? It's important that we understand what it means, right? So that's what we're that's what we're doing in this book of First John. And we had a uh, we had a kind of an overview of the book last week, and we were talking about it being an epistle, which is a letter. And um, by virtue of the fact that it's a letter, it's kind of an unusual letter because John gets right to the point. And uh, and we can and it's fun. And by the way, it's okay as long as you don't take it too far. It's okay when you're studying scripture or reading scripture and you're looking at these three epistles: First John, Second John, Third John, for example. And the first one is written a little bit differently than the other two. There's no salutation. There's not all this wonderfulness at the beginning of of, of the letter. He just gets right down to the point. And it makes me wonder, I like to think like this, and so it makes me wonder, I wonder if he was really anxious. He just, he just like wanted to get to the point, because there was stuff going down in the church at that time that wasn't so good, and he needed to bring some correction to it. And not only did he want to bring some correction to what was going down that was not so good in the church, but he also added some other things. Like when you write a letter, you're, you're writing a letter. Do you write letters anywhere? I guess we email But I haven't written a letter for so long. Sorry. We, there's still stamps, right? Yeah. 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 But um, so he wrote this letter and then he included some other things that were important to include in this letter besides just correcting some error from the false teachers that had entered the church. Um, and uh, so it's just a typical everyday letter, but with a real seriousness to it. Amen. It's really serious. So we saw last week, uh, what was the, the reason? And what was the reason that we were um, in... Uh, hi, Mark. Hey, and so, <laughs> Let the record show that Mark is late. Oh, <laughs> All right, so we know it's not Kathy now, don't we? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they all say. Okay, so, <laughs> so so we're looking at this letter, and we and we know the reason that John wrote the letter last week, right? Because there was a problem in the church, and he was trying he was going to bring some some correction to it, and and uh, there was false teaching, and the basis of the false teaching. Do you remember what the basis of the false teaching is in the in the in the church that he was writing to? Mark. Gnostics, Gnosticism, and the denial of Jesus's um, physical appearance and presence. Exactly, exactly. In fact, in my notes, I, I did not only Gnosticism, not only is this the beginning of Gnosticism, which is which was a thought that 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 uh, matter is evil, and so they believed that Jesus didn't come in the flesh uh, because had he come in the flesh. Uh, that would have been evil, and uh, and so they were very they they, they took great liberties uh, with what they said was the truth. And interestingly enough, 
as these Gnostics were just getting started with this, with this uh, blasphemy, quite frankly, uh, people were drawn to it. Isn't it amazing that people have been drawn to lies for so long when the truth is so apparent? And of course, you know, we consider the audience, we would all believe the truth already. And so, and we have, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that reveals that truth to us. And so we can't even have an argument about that. Uh, but if we were in a different, in a different crowd, we could easily have an argument, couldn't we, about, about truth. But anyway, John wrote this message to these, this, this letter with the message, um, and it was all about his authority because he was what? An eyewitness. an eyewitness. So here he is. He's an apostle. He's an eyewitness. He was hanging with Jesus. They knew it. And he was writing with some authority, and he was writing really to contradict the teacher's that were teaching in error and one thing that they did not have, although they said they did, they didn't have any credible authority to teach what they were teaching. Nothing has changed. In the 2,000 years that this has been going on and people have been, de been denying Christ, it hasn't changed. All false teaching begins with the premise that the people that are teaching it don't have authority. They just don't have any authority. So John was proclaiming that Jesus was the word of life and he was eternal life. And we would agree with that, wouldn't we? He was then proclaiming that uh, if you believe a lie that is taught without authority, watch out, because there are consequences to that. And so we're going to even see some of that tonight. Um, he said that, that quite frankly, uh, he was proclaiming that if you were going to believe this lie that was being taught... Um, that you wouldn't have fellowship with the Father, the Son. He didn't say the Holy Spirit. He said you wouldn't be in fellowship with the Father or the Son or the church. Who's the church? Us, the people. So he said that if you're going to believe this lie and you're going to go down this direction, you're going to be out of fellowship. And we're going to look at that tonight. Out of fellowship with the Father, you're going to be out of fellowship with Jesus, the Son. You're going to be out of fellowship with each other. Meaning, this is some important and very powerful teaching that we're going to look at tonight because he's going to further that thought just a little bit. In 1 John 1, 3, he says, What if we have seen and heard what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us? So he's definitely drawing a line. There is a line in the sand that is being drawn, us and them. And throughout Scripture, we see those lines, the us's and the them's. And he's making it very clear now that this Gnostic teaching that he is going to expose, <coughs> beginning right now, he is going to start <coughs> exposing this in his letter, and he is drawing the line between us. You'll be out of fellowship with us if you're going to go that direction. So just know you're going to be out of fellowship. I wonder sometimes if, if any of those people that were following the false teachers grabbed onto that and said, What? I just wonder. We're not told. We may never know. But it's got to be interesting because they were following a lie. And John, with authority as an eyewitness and, a, and an apostle, is just telling it like it is. And they were now exposed to something that contradicted what they were being taught. 
But I wonder, because were they being taught the truth in the first place and then were pulled away? It's a lot to think about in terms of where their hearts were. If your heart is pulled away from the truth, it makes you wonder whether or not you were ever really... <laughs> you can finish that sentence. You can finish it. So what John begins to do in verse 5 is he begins to state the truth and what's going on. So let's read these first five verses and then we're going to dig into them and, and see what, uh, what John through the Holy Spirit has to say. Uh, who, who has an NIV? And who has a nice booming voice that would like to read the, in the NIV 1 John 1 verses 5 through 10? We have a reader. <laughs> Joanne's going to read. And, when, you, and when, when Joanne reads, just follow along. Okay? Because we're going to start, because this is going, this is a verse by verse, a word by word study. We're going to start tearing into these words. But follow along. And if you didn't do your homework, you don't have to be exposed. Okay? Okay. If you didn't do your homework by reading this already, follow along with your finger and, and look at every word that Joanne reads. Those five verses. <coughs> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. No, verses five, five verses five through ten. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you just started. I like it. I like verse one. You did though. say one through five. Did I say one through five? Well, you were late. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, verse 5 through 10. Wow. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty spunky tonight, body phone, so. All right, verse 5 through 10. Here we go. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Ooh, there's a lot going on in five verses here, isn't there? So now all of a sudden it becomes pretty apparent that it's kind of cool to go from just being a reader to really being a student because we can now take a look at these words and we can see what do they mean? What is, what is, what's the message? So I see three parts to this thing. That John's conveying this message, right? So he wrote this letter, he's conveying this message, and he has kind of an argument. And the first part of the argument is, hey, this is what we've seen and heard. He says so right in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in them. There is no darkness at all. He is simply proclaiming to them on the basis of his authority what they have seen and heard. And it's in the plural. It's not just what he had seen, not one individual. But he says this is the message we we not only heard it, but we saw it. We hung out with it. We were part of it. We, this, this is with some authority he's talking about it. And so the first, the first argument is, is that he's talking about what they've seen and heard. Then he, disar- then he uh, describes some of the practical implications. And we're going to look at it from, uh, from a real practical application point of view tonight. So what's the application then 
to them and to us based on what they had seen and heard from Jesus. Because what he's talking about is who Jesus is and what he said and what he did. And he wants to make that very clear. And then, of course, the third part is he's going to provide some insight and some further clarification. You'll see in in verses eight and nine, he actually clarifies a point that he makes, which is always interesting in Scripture. Whenever something is done twice, okay, it's repeated. We ought to we ought to pay attention. Okay, so uh, there's there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason when something is repeated, and we're going to see he's going to repeat by way of clarification uh, the message that he's giving. So. So verse 5 ends up really being the theological foundation. God is light. How many of you read this this week and said, God is light? I wonder what the heck that means. God is light. Because that matters, doesn't it? It matters what it means. So in verse 6 and 7 are these practical implications that we'll take a look at. And of course, um, there's, a, there's a necessary... Um, uh, really clarification uh, based on the false teaching that John is trying to expose here in the last couple of verses that were read. So, so the foundation of the theology is going to be this first verse that we're going to take a look at. And by the way, since we're studying God's word, that necessarily means that we are all theologians. Diana, don't shake your head. No. What's the definition of a theologian? Anybody know? By definition, what does a theologian do? Study theology. <laughs> studies theology, which is the study. Let's make it really simple. Okay, we're going to pull a West. Let's make it really simple. It's the study of who God is. That's all it is. And we're studying who God is. Who's Jesus? That's what we're studying. That's what a theologian does. Everybody in this room who has now gone beyond just being a reader of Scripture and is interested in studying, is now a theologian. Okay? You alright with that? <laughs> okay. Are you alright with that? Head nuts. we got to be alright with that because, I mean, actually it's kind of fun, number one. And number two, it's necessary. It's really necessary to understand what Scripture says. And as we learn to understand what it says, not just read what it says so that we will know what it means we by definition are theologians it's that simple theologian isn't some guy that uses his his first initial and then his name you know like w peter smith you know why those guys do that but you know those guys they have they, they have big names and they always start with their initial and they and they they're at the dallas theological seminary and they're a theologian and that's what we think about when we think about theologians the truth of the matter is anybody that study god's word is a theologian Okay, theologians, here we go. The application then in, uh, in verse 6 and 7, verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live according to the truth. That's the negative implication. We lie and we don't live according to the truth. But there is a positive implication too. And the positive uh, implication from that foundation in verse 5 that God is light says this, But if we walk, but... You can underline but in your, in your Bibles if you want to. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hmm. There's a negative and a positive 
in that verse. Very interesting. And then, of course, that clarification, and he expands on this just a little bit, and he says that in verse 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Someone might say, see, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So as soon as when Dale made his decision, he says, you know what? I don't even have to give it all, but I'm going to be I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to get it all. But by golly, what that means right there is it says so right here. See, even the apostle teaches that sin, as soon as I accept Christ, sin is, is totally eliminated. See, because that's what the teaching was. The Gnostics were teaching that, hey, if you're a Christian, sin is done. Well, that was pretty common in the church because really what was going on is they were, they were using that as license to do what? <laughs> Man, you can make this say anything you want and you can justify any of your behavior by taking almost any of God's word completely out of context, Right. Because we said, in, as theologians, the context is critical. If we don't understand the context, we can just make this say anything we want. Literally. Literally. And so that's what they were saying. Some were just, uh, I'm, I know that that's what they were saying, because that's what they were teaching. Aha! We're Christians. Sin has been covered. Uh, but there's, but there's, some, there's some conditions that we're going to see that are in these first five verses. So John clarifies this. Why does John clarify uh, this message? Well, the Gnostics didn't have a whole lot of uh, rules or... Or what else didn't they have? Well, they, they didn't... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Truth. Yeah, truth, exactly. They didn't have, you know, a set of values or morals or whatever. I don't know. No, or that's, a body code. Help me out. That, no, that's that's no, that's a good thought. They they didn't have really a set of anything. What they had was, and what they wanted was, which is very common, and, and cults do this all the time. What what's the primary thing that a cult has? A charismatic leader, and that doesn't that that goes nowhere for their authority. Their authority is their charisma, and they convince people to follow them based on what they say, not what it means, and not where it comes from. And that's that's how cults start. They're, they're always started by a charismatic leader. And there's, there's no truth. John is simply pointing out this truth. So he wants to clarify what he's saying. And it's for them. And who else? Us. <laughs> All of this is for, is for us. It's living and breathing. So um, in verse 8 it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words... The claim of sinlessness is just simply these people deceiving themselves, right? They were just being deceived. And it's really self-deception because if you believe something without investigating the, its veracity, meaning its, its truth claims, where it comes from, how credible is it? Because, you know, you've heard the saying, there's a sucker born every minute, and there really is, isn't there? And people, people will... will We'll just go along. Um, my father-in-law used to call them sheeple because the sheep, I mean, we're sheep. It's true. We're sheep. I mean, Jesus even calls us sheep. My sheep know my name. And we're sheep because, man, we'll just wander, won't we? And so if there's a shepherd and the shepherd leads us over a cliff, the sheep will go right over the cliff. They just will. And so it's incumbent on us not to do that by virtue of understanding the truth. So, uh, really, really interesting. Then, uh, as he drives home this clarification, 
he says something very strong. He says that if we say we have not sinned, we make him. Who's the him? God, Jesus. Make, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. Very strong language that we have to take a look at so we understand what that means. In fact, uh, you know, in other words, what he's really saying is that, that uh, this self-deception, that, that they're not sinning, that sin is not in them, is not only self-deception, but it's full-on blasphemy. Okay, and and of course, what is what is blasphemy? Denying God. It, denying. Okay, that's good enough. <laughs> okay, denying God. Yeah, denying the truth of God, denying the truth of God's word. Anything that would be quote unquote, you heard the term sacrilegious. Anything that that falls into that category, sacrilegious, from our perspective, <laughs> would mean anything that does not line up with the biblical truth of God's word. That would be blasphemy. And so he says that sentence, I am without sin, which is amounts to saying that God is a liar. In fact, I would submit to you that anything, and I think we would all agree with this, that anything, and I mean anything, that is an essential truth to the historic Christian faith, those things, those tenets that we base our faith on, any of those things... If you decided that you were going to argue against them, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, for example, it's blasphemy. That there is one way to the Father. That you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Because it ain't nothing we done. Mm-hmm. Hmm? So, if, and, and in fact, that eternal, we, we learned last week, I added this one because I've been thinking about it all week since, since, since it was preached here on, on, on the pulpit last week, that eternal life is now. That's, that's been, uh, I've, I've been energized by that all week, actually. Eternal life is now. Because I have to admit to you, I was kind of, I think about, you know, heaven is my home. I, I, I just like to live there because that's where I'm going. And so, um, you know, and that's been real, real in my life recently. And so, uh, and I just think that way. But we got to be careful because it's because uh, it's also true that eternal life is now. It is now, and so, and of course, ultimately, it's gonna it's gonna manifest, isn't it, in heaven or hell? But that would be denied by a number of people. I know we all know people that would deny even the existence of of hell. Because out of context, they would take the scriptures to say that as a universalist that everybody is going to heaven. But that's not what it says. But you can make it mean that if you want to. You can make it say that. But that's, that's not what it means. Even though they say that's what it means. It isn't. So all of that is tantamount to calling God a liar. That's pretty heavy. When you talk about blasphemy... And you talk about any of these things that would be tantamount to calling God a liar. Because this is this is the truth. You know, I wonder sometimes if people consider the consequences of that. It's a humbling thing to talk about what this what this says. You, you don't want to you don't want to get that wrong. 
And if you do get it wrong, you better you better ask for forgiveness and admit that you got it wrong. And as 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 the Spirit reveals that to you, Amen. Because yeah. right, we've all taken strong positions on something at one time or another, I'm sure, to find out that oops, I heard that, but I never really took the time to study it, and that's not what it means, you know. And so, uh, and that's okay too. That's called repentance, isn't it? So. He has some pretty extraordinarily strong words that, you know, you're saying that God is a liar <coughs> if you're saying you don't sin, for example. Now, nobody here is going to say that we don't sin. Right? <laughs> you know, no show of hands, but I mean, I, I hope nobody here <laughs> would say that they don't sin. Um, because if you, if you did, we, we should probably talk. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but so here we have the overall structure of just these first five verses. So we have this theological foundation because we're now theologians. We have the application about walking in the light. I'll say God is light. We're going to be walking in the light and claiming to be without sin. Uh, we we have these these three these three elements that we have to look at. So now that we see what John is communicating that God is light, verse five, God is light, uh, and that we should walk in the light, we should just. We're just ready to move on, right? Because God is light, so shouldn't we just move on? Susan, don't you, you, you completely understand that? You know exactly what that means, right? We should find out. We should find. We should find out why He says God is light. No, that's a good idea. Why don't we find out? What does that mean? Yeah, like that, like a Berean. Let's find out what that means. God, okay. So, so um, we have scripture quoted that is accurate that says that God is light, and that was a very physical thing because there's no need for the sun and the moon. Remember when we talked about heaven? We because I remember arguing with Susan. It was a great argument, and I think we were both half right, and so we compromised, didn't we? Okay, but in any event, in any event, so we see that in Revelation, uh, God, God is light. Uh, so we need to we need to ask the question. Absolutely, what does that mean? And by the way, how do we find the answer? So you just gave us a clue. You look at the scriptures. 